There's an old rabbinic saying, leaning to the optimistic, I must say, which suggests that when the day of judgment comes, we will be asked only one question by God, namely this, did you enjoy my world? It's offered as a correction to those life-denying churls who make religion into some kind of drudge and God into some kind of fun-hating Scrooge. Fair enough. Mind you, I suggest it's a saying that verges on the naive because a far more likely question God may ask us on the day of judgment than did we enjoy his world is... Why did you make such a mess of my world? Through selfishness, greed and short-sightedness. For all that we might worry just how well religion and politics mix, we cannot, while wearing the badge of an eco-church as we dare to do, we cannot talk blithely about the wonders of creation and the richness of the abundant earth, the goodness of God and the generosity of his provision. We can't really go there without giving some robust thought to what we should be doing with and for that creation, this world made by him in love and entrusted to our keeping. How well have we stewarded this rich and amazing gift? How have we dealt with the responsibility? Do the hills rejoice and the rivers clap their hands, or does the earth groan at the abuse it receives? Does it shudder from the brutish touch of humanity? The Native American saying catches the sense of it. When we Indians kill meat, we eat it all up. When we dig roots, we make little holes. When we build houses, we make little holes. We don't ruin things. We shake down acorns and pine nuts. We don't chop down the trees. We only use dead wood. But the white people plough up the ground, pull down the trees, kill everything. The white people pay no attention. How can the spirit of the earth like the white man? Everywhere the white man has touched it, it is sore. We sang with gusto that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The earth is the Lord's and the work of his hand. And that rousing affirmation raises the theological and profoundly practical issue if we are answerable to him for the way in which we have treated his creation, what will the answer be? What, as Christians, is our attitude to the world? What does it mean to be an eco-conscious church? What does it mean to us to belong to an eco-church with a commitment to environmental responsibility? What are our Christian obligations to the world? A good starting point would be to respect the integrity of that world. Creation presents itself to us as a given, a, a marvellous field of research, a delightful miracle to be explored, examined, explained, unravelled and understood. A fascinating challenge to human intellect and ingenuity. And a means of satisfying our natural God-given curiosity about things, how they work, what they do, and perhaps what they mean. A world full of magic and mystery for us to catalogue and enjoy. A rich resource, daring us, if we can, to discover the order, the structure, the interdependence that sustains it in balance and in being. It merits our seriousness and our respect. 
true faith has never been anti-knowledge, anti-science. It can enjoy as much as the next world view, the great uncovering and discovering of the scientific endeavour. And we can be amazed at the intricacies and complexities of nature. True faith sees no merit in superstition, ignorance or gullibility. However, that notion of respect for creation, for nature, requires that we acknowledge and recognise the uniqueness and merit of each part of that complex structure, each animal and plant, each species, seen as having a worth in its own right, a right to existence, a, a genuine specialness that we should never allow to be trampled over or dismissed as of no account. The writer Elizabeth Cooge says, Nothing living should ever be treated with contempt. Whatever it is that lives, a man, a tree or a bird, should be touched gently because the time is short. Civilization, she says, is another word for respect for life. Unfortunately, at present, this is not how the world functions. The naturalist Gerald Durrell warned way back in the 1990s that Due to man's destruction of the forests and woodlands and his pollution of the rivers and air, one species of the animal kingdom per day is lost, goes into extinction. He warned, by the year 2000, it will be one species per hour. Hand in hand with that notion of respect, was a recognition of the essential harmony and balance that holds things together in the natural world. In a miraculous and wonderful way, the interdependence and natural cycles on which all our lives depend and which we ignore at our peril. For when that balance is threatened, the whole fabric of nature is endangered. However much humanity might like to delude itself, to assume that we are masters and mistresses of all we survey, in fact we are part of the whole structure of nature. And we need that harmony to be maintained just as much as any other creature. Humanity is vulnerable to extinction, just like the dinosaur, where greed outruns wisdom, we are in trouble. God has made us stewards, not despots and dictators. Aldous Huxley warned, that modern man no longer regards nature as being in any sense divine and feels perfectly free to behave towards her as an overweening conqueror and tyrant. So a first Christian response to creation is to admit that the world has rights. It is for us, but we are foolish indeed if we allow ourselves to brutalise and abuse that creation. The consequences of bullying and battering and exploiting the world are inescapable and increasingly evident. Climate change because of global warming, the encroaching deserts, the flooded deltas and all the suffering that goes with these end products of thoughtless, profit-driven human activity are undeniable and inevitable results of bad stewardship. The second response to God's creative goodness is to use the riches and harness the resources available in the world in constructive, humane, productive ways. Now you might think that would go without saying, to be a simple dictate of sound logic, but it's not what happens in fact. 
food, shelter, warmth. These are the good things that the world can offer all its citizens. The resources are there in plenteous abundance. The world could be a delightful playground for all humanity. Provision has been made. Plentiful, profligate, generous provision. Enough for all, enough for each, enough for everyone. But instead of that just dream being realised, it's just a dream. The resources are gobbled up by opportunism and blind greed. What can destroy, disfigure and pollute, fear, terror and envy, these are allowed to determine how the resources are used and to dictate how the rich harvest of the world is split up, divided up. The positive possibilities of science are overshadowed by the nightmare world of bombs and biochemical warfare. The good things that science can bring us come hand in hand with cross-species fertilisation, multi-parent cloning, frozen embryos for experimentation and the threat of nuclear disaster lurking sombrely in the background. My button is bigger than your button. None of this is how God wants his world to be. Not how God wants his wonderful people to use their genius. Technology which could provide marvellous liberation for the disabled, support systems for the aged, cures for the sick. Technology swings the big budgets towards those who can promise laser beam mega deaths and clean neutron bombs. While hospitals are choked to death and medical research remains a Cinderella. And in a world of plenty, 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 half the world goes hungry and thirsty. Instead of using the brains, the money and the natural resources to build Jerusalem among the dark satanic mills, we choose instead the policies of Armageddon, weapons of mass destruction. So what answer shall we give to God when he asks, Why then, when it was all there for you, more than you could ever need, imagine, desire or want. Why, when I gave you a garden, did you turn it into a slaughterhouse? It's not hard to work out that the Christian response to creation's abundance is to rediscover, reassert wise and just priorities. Medicines, not weapons. Tools, not trinkets. Crops to feed all the people, not indulgent luxuries for the few. Sharing, not selfishness. For this is the shocking and terrible thing. God leaves those choices to us. The buck stops here. The buck stops here. That's the terrible beauty of the freedom he gives us. The responsibility he lays upon us. It certainly doesn't work to lay the blame on him, demand of him that he make things right, fair, honest. Not when making things fair, just and honest is actually our job, our task. Which brings us to our final responsibility as Christians, to preserve and conserve for the future. The people of Africa who spent their whole lives leaning soft against the breast of nature feeling its heartbeat, have a saying about this. Treat the earth well. It was not given to you by your parents. It was loaned to you by your children. You may remember the old question from the Great War of 1914-18. What did you do in the war, Daddy? 
Today, there is another searching question that the children are entitled to ask. What did you do in the peace, Daddy? What did you do to make sure that there was a world rich and beautiful and safe and clean and free for my generation to enjoy? There is a shameful arrogance in the way in which our generation seems willing to store up trouble for the future, unsolvable problems for the next generation to grapple with, intractable scientific legacies and conundrums that they will be lumbered with because we chose to brush those problems under the carpet. Whether it's huge stockpiles of nuclear waste, pollution of the seas, acid rain, the fact that we bleed the earth white of irreplaceable resources, we are Inconsiderate and stupid if we think that our children will not resent the fact that on our watch, in our time, under our indifferent gaze, whole species have been wiped out, the e ecological balance sent spinning by our cupidity and stupidity, the rainforests ransacked, the grasslands exhausted, the oceans fished out, the desert invited to advance unchecked. When it comes to ecology, they really do mess you up, your mum and dad. We're lucky that in the late 19th century, lessons began to be learned by some, that we tamper with the environment, rape it and abuse its generosity to our future detriment. And men like Scotland's own pioneer champion of conservation, John Muir, saw to it that the seed of looking after what is beautiful and irreplaceable and unique was sown in the political mind. He writes this in his book, Keep close to nature's heart and break clear away once in a while and climb a mountain or spend a week in the woods. Wash your spirit clean. How narrow we selfish conceited creatures are in our sympathies. How blind to the rights of all the rest of creation. For everybody needs beauty as well as bread. Places to play in and pray in. Where nature may heal and cheer and give strength to body and soul alike. He understood that what is rare and precious and sacred and that's the key notion, sacred, must not be exploited thoughtlessly or endlessly. He saw that we had to learn that future generations had a right to God's good world, one without the grubby fingerprints of our generation's greedy hands upon it, a world that had not been mortgaged by our ruthless short-termism. So, shame on us for every pile of nuclear waste that will take a thousand years before it's safe that we've left lying around for someone else to worry about. Shame on us for every precious acre of rainforest, stripped bare and smouldering so that we can read our daily paper or put our feet on a hardwood coffee table. Shame on us for every exhausted piece of farmland so pumped full of dope it's forgotten what it's like to be real, natural land. Shame on us for every lake that has died because of industrial pollution. Shame on us for every bird, plant or insect that will never be seen again by anyone because we allowed it to become another victim of the 21st century appetite. Allowing precious things to be lost forever. Casualties of our 21st century arrogance. 
shame on us when we mortgage other people's future without their permission, take from them the choice about the kind of world they would like to live in. Shame on us when we do nothing, when we could do something. The South African writer Alan Payton summed it up well when he said, The ground is holy, being even as it came from the Creator. Keep it, guard it, care for it, for it keeps man, guards man, cares for man. Destroy it, and man is destroyed. The latest eco-congregation newsletter from the Church of Scotland ends with this prayer, and it could be ours. Creator God, whose Son Jesus Christ lived once in Palestine, yet whose arms flung wide on the cross embrace all time and space in redeeming love, grant that we, living here and now, may plant and water the new garden of the Lord throughout the earth and for generations to come by the power of the sustaining Spirit. Amen.